Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. We are well into two months down now by the time this airs into 2019, and hopefully you are having a great year. Hopefully you are out there trying new things and making things happen to make 2019 awesome in your life and your career. Before we get started, I have to thank one of the sponsors of this episode, and you know who that is. It's my friends at Amplifier. Whether you deal with physical products that you mail to your fans or your customers, or you do some giveaways, uh, dealing with the physical stuff and getting to the post office, that can be a total pain. But the people at Amplifier, man, they blend order fulfillment, screen printing, and on-demand production into a single self-service platform that you fully control. And that's who I work with for these Try New Things t-shirts that many of you have ordered. You can always get those at trynewthings.shop, but they are printed and fulfilled by the people at Amplifier. They integrate with your e-commerce shop, and they help drive your giveaway campaigns. They're great for big companies and small entrepreneurial ventures. Hey, on-demand means no inventory risk, so I don't have thousands of these t-shirts sitting there. Yours is printed when you order it. But as you grow, you can stock up on inventory, and Amplifier can handle that for you, too. They have a great warehouse. I've been there, and all the people are fantastic. Jump over to Amplifier.com slash cool things and sign up today. So speaking of today, today we have Mike Smirklow. Now, He uh, founded a couple of tech companies out in Silicon Valley. He now runs a venture firm here in Austin called Next Coast Ventures, and uh, he's the father of four. That is a lot of kids, and he has a lot of good ideas and smart stuff to talk about. So I am excited that he agreed to come on to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do and share his story. Hey, Mike, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Really appreciate it. No, that's great. So why don't you tell everybody, what is Next Coast Ventures? What do you guys do? Uh, Next Coast Ventures is a venture capital firm headquartered in Austin, Texas. Our tagline is built by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. We tend to invest in companies uh, that are usually in the Series A, Series B category, so relatively early in their life cycle. Uh, And we look for companies that are pursuing big market opportunities with innovative solutions. But most importantly, we look to back, help, and support amazing entrepreneurs. the bulk of our investments to date have been in Austin, but we also do investments outside of the Austin area, i.e. Uh, that's where the Next Coast <laughs> Capital name came from. Nice. Well, I, I will tell you, I, I've lived in Austin for 27 years, so I've seen a lot of changes. But the one thing I've always loved about Austin is it's got just a knack, just a just a huge entrepreneurial spirit. And so I'm sure that uh, while you do invest outside of this area, I'm sure you never run out of really capable entrepreneurs in the tech scene who are here in our home of Austin. No, it's so good. I mean, I, I think I, I moved to Austin four years ago from Silicon Valley. I was out in the Valley for about 18 years. And I tell you, I think that Austin is just getting started. Um, it has a long history and a rich history, as you, as you mentioned. But every day, we are blown away by the caliber of entrepreneurs we're seeing, the ideas. Um, and actually, I think most importantly, what's happening in Austin now is just a, a better sense of collaboration and networking than perhaps was there when 
you know, there used to be one dominant venture firm uh, for a long period of time, and now that's changed, and I think that's good for the ecosystem. Oh, it's totally good for the ecosystem. So let, let's back up. You you were in the Silicon Valley for 18 years. Where'd, where'd you go to college? Uh, I went to Miami University in Southern Ohio. So I grew up, uh, first person in my family to ever go to college, I grew up in the bad part of Toledo, Ohio. Some people curious if there's a good part of Toledo, Ohio, there's a small section, but I grew up in the, the rough part of Toledo, Ohio. And, uh, luckily, uh, got myself educated at undergrad at Miami university and then went on to, uh, work in Chicago right after undergrad. So I got to tell you, probably not a lot of people who would interview you could tell you that I've been to Oxford, Ohio, <laughs> like nearly uh, easily 10 times. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's a great, great town, great university. And, uh, I was lucky to uh, kind of wiggle my way in there and then take advantage of the educational opportunity. So my college fraternity was founded originally in 1839 in Oxford, Ohio at Miami University. And uh, I was really active when I was in college and they had the 150th anniversary uh, there. So I was a drunk undergrad one summer in the 80s. Uh, at the big party that they had. And then I was an advisor for many years for the fraternity, kind of to the local chapter here in, in uh, Austin, Texas. And so I would have to go to, to several meetings for advisors uh, that brought me back to, to Oxford. So what a great little town. Yeah, great town. And uh, I was part of the, the Greek system there. It's really a vibrant. And yeah, it's, it's funny because everyone knows it. A lot of people that have been in Greek system know it for that, for that reason, but yeah, great they, university. They call it the mother of fraternities, I think, or something like that. Cause more, I think, uh, I think yep. quite a handful. Beta Theta Pi is who I belong to, but a whole bunch of, of, of fraternities were, and sororities were founded there. So it's, it's a cool little town. So what led you then to become an entrepreneur after college? Where'd you go next? Uh, so I started, uh, my, my joke is I was basically, trying to figure out how I could learn something about business. I, I grew up uh, in a very challenging economic environment, wanted to just basically get a job to start. So my first job out of college, I had two jobs right after college that I, that I learned a tremendous amount, but I hated uh, is my joke. I first started off as a CPA of all things. Um, I figured I had a one family member, a distant cousin who said it's a good way to get a basic understanding of business. So I went and worked for Ernst & Young for two years. Nice. Uh, and then I went and worked for Lehman Brothers in investment banking in Chicago, both jobs in Chicago. Um, two jobs, as I said, that where I, I worked long hours. I uh, learned a ton, but knew that there had to be something bigger and better than this. So those are my, my two kind of check the box, get, uh, get, it, get some uh, business skills. And then I went on to business school at Northwestern right after that. And that was my, uh, my start to my career. And then you got out to the Silicon Valley. What were your first couple of jobs out there? Yeah, so then I got recruited. I went out and worked in um, – so basically, I sat down. I, did, I, I teach uh, twice a year at Stanford Business School, and I basically say the same thing. I sat down at business school and said, okay, what do I want to be doing in five years from now? Um, kind of an audacious approach to it. And I said, in five years, I'm going to be running a business. And I had no idea how. I had no resources and no capital. But I knew I wanted to get out to the Valley. This was in the late 90s. There was a ton going on there uh, as there is today, but it was the dot-com boom. So I went out and worked for, um, went back to Lehman for a year and then worked for Morgan Stanley. And it was an amazing time. Late 90s, I got to see so many phenomenal entrepreneurs building companies. And I looked at them, I thought, gosh, these, these men and women are making a difference, building a company, having a ton of fun. Um, and I'm working, you know, a hundred hours a week helping them. <laughs> Um, so it was basically three years after business school that I said, all right, 
I've got to find, uh, I want to get on the playing field. And I was, you know, to my five-year plan, I was three years into it. And so I started looking at ways that I could become an entrepreneur. And uh, a really good mentor of mine said, well, that's great and all, but you may want to go get some operating experience. <laughs> well, that's probably not a bad idea, uh, given that I wasn't, uh, I'm not necessarily a, a new idea person. So I didn't necessarily have an idea that I wanted to pursue. And as luck or serendipity would have it, um, I got assigned to help a company called LoudCloud that had just gotten started raise some capital. And this was a company that had been founded by four, four team members that had just sold a company called Netscape to AOL. So this was Ben Horowitz, <laughs> Mark Andreessen, uh, Tim Howes, and Insik Re were just starting LoudCloud. And uh, long story short, Mark, I went to talk to him about his capital needs and he said, I got a better idea. Why don't you come help me start this company? And so I got to work with them um, super early days at LoudCloud. Nice. So, so now that you've been in this entrepreneurial space for so long, what is it that you love? Not only about the life of being an entrepreneur, but you now invest in these companies. What, what do you love about being around entrepreneurs? So both, what do you love about it for your own life, but then what makes entrepreneurs so great? Yeah, you know, I mean, at, at the highest level, so at the macro level, I just believe it, it fundamentally shapes the, the world and the country. I think progress, jobs, innovation. So at the macro level, I just believe it is fundamentally how our country will continue to progress. So that's my, my macro level. At the micro level, um, I just gain massive inspiration. Every entrepreneur that I've been around when I was an entrepreneur, and I count myself still kind of half entrepreneur, half investor because we're starting a firm. Um, it's just the energy, the passion, and the drive that you see. And when you see a great entrepreneur, it's just contagious. And I don't think there's anything more in the business world more special than being around someone where you just know you, you can feel the energy and the charisma and the drive and the focus um, that really can, can, as they say, proverbially move mountains. That's what I love about it. You know, I agree with you. In fact, I've, I've spent a lot of time having spent my business career in Austin and then working for myself for the last 10 years. A lot of my friends are solo openers. I mean, they're not trying to grow large tech companies, but we're, we're, we're speakers and we're authors and we're consultants. And, uh, you know, it's so interesting because when you see someone who's successful, who's been doing this, like I'm coming up on my 10th anniversary here in, in another month or so of uh, doing this full time. And when you see someone who's reached milestones where they've been successful, they've been able to do what they're trying to do, and, and they're still still loving it and you see that spark in your eye, you realize that that person has something special that I think 90% of the people out there wish they had. So many people get up every day and just trudge through. Like if you had stayed at Ernst & Young, do you think you would have that spark that you have right no. now? Because I can hear it in your voice. No, no, no. It's so funny, Tom. I, I used to do, I, when I was a CEO, I used to tell a story. Growing up in Toledo, Ohio, there was this uh, mattress company. It's a quick story, but mattress company. And they used to say, you spend a third of your life sleeping. So why wouldn't you have a great mattress? And I always thought when I was really young, I was like, well, gosh, what do you spend the other two thirds on? <laughs> and as I started to come out of college, I think, well, a third of it hopefully is with family and friends, but the other third at least is going to be spent working in a job. Yep. And so I committed early on. It's like, there's no way even coming from nothing there's no way I'm going to be a, spend, you know, the third of my life or more doing something that I don't absolutely love. And uh, that's, that's the energy. That's the amazing part of, uh, of an opportunity to be an entrepreneur. 
and and I have I'm blessed in the fact that I get to do some like team trainings inside these tech companies in Austin. So I, I have a program called the Paradox of Potential, and I get to go in and talk to teams about the gap that exists between potential and results, and it's extremely interactive. And I find it's not just the entrepreneur; it's these people who love working in these startups. I think they have the same yep. the same spark. I think the people who are really trying to build something, and maybe maybe that's the piece. Maybe it's if you really feel that you're contributing. Maybe that's why you get up every day and go, yay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that all, all forms of entrepreneurship are hard. I mean, so entrepreneurship has challenges. But yeah, a great entrepreneur has to have amazing people around him or her. And then that energy win, and that's the point. It's not just the entrepreneur. When you meet the team and you see, gosh, they are all focused on building something really special. Uh, that's, that's just a really special place. So, Mike, what advice do you have? A lot of people who listen to this show kind of want to be entrepreneurs. Maybe they have a job and they have an idea for either a side hustle or something they'd like to turn into their own thing. Or, or maybe, you know, maybe they want to go start something that's, that's, you know, they can get investors and grow it. What advice do you have at sort of the basic level for somebody who wants to start their own path? Yeah, what I'd say, Tom, is I'd say two things. And this is a little bit probably um, maybe unconventional in today's kind of you know, just quit your job environment. First and foremost, I just say, I love entrepreneurship, but doggone, it's hard. I mean, you know it, I know it, it is really hard. And so I think the first piece of advice I give to folks is just make sure you understand how doggone hard this job is and don't get caught up in the glamour and the excitement of it. That's part of it when it works, but uh, it's not easy. And so I just, I really try and give a little dose of reality. And the second thing I say is, I'm a big believer that there is a time and place to be an entrepreneur. And that's not being ageist. I don't, I'm not a believer that, you know, you got to be 22 or, or what have you. I mean, the reason we all talk about Mark Zuckerberg is because there's only one Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> Every decade, there's one, you know, 22-year-old or 20-year-old that starts an amazing company. But I think just being kind of tied to point one, being cognizant that you have to be thoughtful around what's going on in your life. Do you have your support infrastructure in place? I have a blog under my name, mikesmerklow.com, that talks about what I call the TOS, the other stuff. <laughs> um, about being an entrepreneur that really says, gosh, like be thoughtful and be mindful that, you know, if you've got a huge mortgage and two kids under the age of five or whatever the scenario is, maybe now, now is not the time to quit your job. So just be thoughtful about it. Um, and I just think those two things are sometimes a little bit of guardrails to curb the enthusiasm. The enthusiasm is what you need to get going and jump out of bed and make the big, bold move. But don't do it without counsel and thought around it and just assume everything's going to be super easy and it's all going to work out uh, exactly as your business plan says, because that rarely happens. So what do you think, though? There's there's a lot of reports that I've read that talk about, yeah, we do sort of celebrate that 22-year-old who drops out of co- – 20-year-old who drops out of college and starts the Facebook or the Microsoft or the Apple or whatever it is. But the reality, the numbers – of when people are really successful as entrepreneurs tend to skew more towards the the, the 40s and, and maybe early 50s. Do you think that has to do with yeah. the fact that real successful entrepreneurship is sort of a marriage between that enthusiasm and life experience? Why do you why do you think, even though they don't report it in the press, the realities are the seasoned people are the ones who knock it out of the park? Why is that? Well, I, I think it's to that point. I think there's, there's a, a little bit of you know, do, do you have more experience? Do you have more perspective? Are you a little more thoughtful? Do you have stronger network connections? And then I also just think there's something about, uh, so I, I think the support infrastructure, it's something that I, I do write about in my blog is, 
you know, the, the time and place to do this is when you have uh, some friends and family and folks around you that can help you back to that, how hard this job is. So I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, may, maybe your, your kids are older, maybe you're in a, you've got some money in the bank, or maybe you're just in a really great relationship that can help you with it. Whatever it is, I just think, or, or just different experience or network connections. I think there's a lot to what you just said, but I do think it has to do with the holistic arc of life that perhaps isn't as obvious when you're 22 or 24, at least it certainly wasn't for me. Well, you bring up another interesting point, and that is you said, you know, maybe your kids are older. So I travel about 100 to 120 days a year as a, a speaker and as a master of ceremonies and facilitator because, you know, I can't do everything in Austin because the definition of an expert, Mike, I don't know if you know this, but the definition of an expert is anyone with a boarding pass. So people in Chicago or people, companies in Chicago are like, like yeah, we, we totally want Tom to come in. And the companies in Austin are like, well, how good could he be if he lives in Austin? So uh, I travel a lot, but my kids are 21 and 17. And my 21-year-old lives in Pittsburgh. She's a senior at, at Carnegie Mellon. She doesn't care what I do. Uh, you know, I'm lucky to get a text from her every yeah. couple of days. The 17 year old, I argue is the most easygoing person I've met. Like I was on a 15 day trip last year where I had five clients back to back. It was like a little game of Tetris. Every time a client would call, I'd be like, Oh, I can't. And then I'd find there was a flight that could get me to Chicago to Phoenix. And I could, as long as the client was willing to take the risk with me that the airlines could suck. And fortunately they didn't suck. I got to all five clients in time, but you know, I was gone 15 days. Now I checked in and we, we, you know, can do Skype calls and things like that. But my 17 year old's like, what? I go to school all day. I come home and I'm on Netflix or doing my homework. So she didn't, she's like, whatever. But when they were four and, you know, 10, you know, I couldn't do that. And so, uh, I think that's something sometimes people, people forget is that demands of your family change as you're at different stages. Well, you know, it's set on me. It's funny. I, I get asked. I, I had run my second entrepreneurial endeavor was I bought a small company in San Francisco called Service Source. I ran it for 12 years, took it public, was, you know, woke up and suddenly we had 3000 employees, uh, $300 million business that had grown from next to nothing. And I'm a public company CEO. And we just had, you know, the similar parallel to that is my wife and I, my wife had just had our fourth child. And I looked and said, I'm way underqualified for this job. And B, I don't want to be on the road. You know, I've got four amazing children and that's a special part of my life. I don't want to do this. And so working with my board, I moved to chairman and et cetera, et cetera. And when I came to think about my next endeavor, because I was reasonably young, I said, well, I would love to start something again, but there's no way I have, to your point, the will and desire that I had when I was 32 bought and bought a company. You know, it's 32. I bought a company called Service Source, and my wife jokes we just started dating. Uh, you know, a customer called and said, "I need you in Boston tomorrow." I was on a red eye and then didn't think twice about it. You wake up with four kids, and I blog about this. You four kids, a couple dogs, and a, and a good relationship or great relationship. Say, I don't want to do that anymore. And so that's you know, venture is. Uh, I still feel I love what I'm doing, and I can give back at a different level, but it has nowhere near the. The frank answer is there's nowhere near the demands on the time and energy that it does to start a company, a real high risk company uh, like an entrepreneur does. So I, I'm with you. It's all about the timing and what's going on. So, so the other piece to that is how important is it for an entrepreneur to have a life partner who is supportive? Because obviously from the early days of dating, you know, if you've got dinner reservations, you know, down in the Presidio and you say, oh, we're not going to dinner, I'm going to Boston. 
you know, there's a lot of people who would have said, screw Mike, and they would have found a new boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I'm blessed that I had a, 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 have and have a, had and have a great wife, a girlfriend at the time, and understood it. But yeah, I think, that's, I think it's one of the things I also counsel folks is, if you're thinking about, and I call this, you know, when you're, you're sitting in the shower and you're, oh, I've got a great idea and I want to go do this. My question always to entrepreneurs is like, who's the first person you told? Who did you talk, sit down and say, is this a good idea or bad idea? And for me, you know, both my wife and I were, were at a time where we hadn't, we were dating and everything, but she kind of knew from day one, it's like, wow, Mike is really committed to this. Um, and fortunately she was highly flexible, but I do think that is a critical part to ask your partner at the time. If you're thinking about starting something, gosh, how is this going to impact my life, our relationship and the rest of my, uh, constituents and constituents in my life? Well, someone asked my wife, because I travel about a third of the year, you know, they go, how, how is that possible? Does your marriage suck or, or whatever? And my wife made a very interesting comment in the fact that she said, look, he's gone a lot and I don't necessarily always like that, but I'm an extrovert and she's an introvert. So I, I secretly think she likes a little downtime where I'm not there talking. And, and the second thing is she said, if you look at him for the last 10 years, I mean, I had a pretty successful business development and marketing and sales career, but I never was happy. Right. I mean, I had one job that I just loved and I made, you know, I, I moved on from it. Well, the company went out of business, but uh, and ever since then, it was always trying to get that again. And I spent, you know, many years, you know, looking at bosses who didn't see the world as I did. And I always was frustrated. She said, you've been so much happier for 10 years. We haven't made as much money. If I had stayed, you know, if I was now a CMO of a company, we'd probably be making twice as much money as I make as sort of a solopreneur. But that being said, she's like, I don't care about the money. You're so much happier on a day-to-day basis. And, and when your boss is a dick, you're the boss. So you have to deal with it yourself. Yeah. You, know, you can't point fingers. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's all about trade-offs. And I think our, our wives would probably get along uh, quite well because <laughs> similar, similar characteristics and, and observations. So, Mike, what, what do you think about this? So I, one of the things I teach and that I work with is I call it the paradox of potential. And I mentioned before, it's about this gap between potential and results. So as an entrepreneur who's done it, you obviously hung out with entrepreneurs who were at least trying to do it. And as an investor, you probably see this gap all the time. How come every time you invest in a company, you do it because you think, oh my gosh, Becky has so much potential. And then two years later, you're writing off the money that you gave them to start that startup. How come some people have potential and they take the company public and they get 3,000 employees and everybody goes, woo, and other people who also had potential and the same investors and the same smart people looked into the books and the business plan and that company goes and flops off. What's the delta? What's the gap between potential and results for entrepreneurship? Well, I would say, um, you know, first and foremost, I am all humility aside. I said, like, lucky is important. I, I've been incredibly lucky. I, I literally do think it's a fool's errand to kind of try and do that assessment without saying, Hey, sometimes you get lucky. And, um, I, I do think I've been, you know, lucky in, in a lot of different ways in my life. So I think there's sometimes there's timing and luck, but when I break it down and I look at, you know, a pretty wide sample set, I think the hardest thing to do is to be able to be ruthless in your priorities. Uh, and I think that's the hardest thing. And I've read some of your materials. I think it's wonderful. I think it's great advice for entrepreneurs, the things that you talk about on this. But I think my personal observation myself and with entrepreneurs that we work with is, did you, are you able to identify the top three or four things? I used to have this thing called TTM, the things that matter. And every year I would share with the company, here's the three or four things, not 15, not one, but three or four things that we have to do to move the business forward. 
And then my challenge myself and my team, and I didn't always, wasn't always great at this, but to say, okay, if those are the four things and we've done a good job at identifying them, so we were accurate, then did we commit the time, energy, and resources to make those things happen? And what that means is, gosh, if, if having amazing customer relationships is our number one priority, then boy, we need to, as an executive team, spend the bulk of our time focusing on our customers, the solution we're providing, and how it's being received in the marketplace. And resist the urge to do emails or focus on something that is kind of interesting or fun. Do we have a new building or what have, whatever the example is. Stay focused on those three or four things that really matter. And I think that's in work and that's in life. And it's like everything else. It's advice that's super easy to conceptually understand, but doggone hard to put into practice. And I think when I break it down, that's probably the number one difference. No, I, I mean, you're, you're, you're singing to the choir here because, you know, 2018 for me wasn't as good as 2017. And I got a little got caught up in feeling bad for myself. And I released a podcast episode uh, back in early January where I talked about sales tips for 2019 because I narrowed it down to the one thing that I have to be focused on in 2019, and that is sales. But I broke that down into five different parts, and it's everything you just talked about. It was my my strategy. It was uh, uh, you know kind of doing a self assessment. It was all this stuff. But then it was taking action. When you said that, I'm like, yep, that's what 2019's been about. Because I can hope, wish, and dream. The phone's going to ring all day long, but if if I'm not making sales, then I don't have a business. And I think that sales is that underlying spot that we can also off often if we don't like doing it. You know, it's easy, even for me, I'm a sales guy is my background. It was easy to get, yep. get away from it and just let, you know, my referral business that had grown the business for the first nine years, eight years, you know, it was all about networking and, and, and referrals and it worked. But then I reached a point where it's like, I needed a new strategy and uh, that's what I'm doing this year. So how important do you think it is that entrepreneurs are laser focused on sales? Well, yeah, well, it's, it's interesting. I read that blog. I thought it was very honest. So I applaud you for for your honest uh, description of, of, of relying a little too much on word of mouth, I think is what you'd said in the blog post. So I think that's one self-assessment and self-awareness you probably could throw in that bucket too. So like, do you really understand yourself and your team? That's probably the number one priority. But yeah, I think that the other part of this is, and my things that matter, that was probably more of a big company, but even you know, 12 years into running a company with as many employees as revenue we had, I still was, where, where can we get more sales? Where, you know, how can I help the sales team? And I think that's probably when I think about more on the enterprise sales, maybe not so much in consumer because it's a different animal, but I think focusing on the customer, what does the customer need? Are we providing something that really is of value to the customer? And then to your point, am I selling? That, that's what you're doing. I mean, that's when I talk about the entrepreneurship and saying, how hard is it? I think most people miss on, or underestimate, I'm just underestimate, you're going to be selling to get investors you're going to be selling to get customers. You're going to be selling to get employees. It, it never stops. Uh, and I think that's the aspect of it when you say, you either have to really like that, which I do, and I think you do as well, or you get someone in your team who, who really likes it. Because if you don't have that, if you just aren't passionate about customer, customer engagement and acquisition of customers, it's not really going to work. Because you know it, it's not just the customer part, as I said, it's investors and employees and the press, that's all sales. It's, it's so important for, the, for pretty much the bulk of you know, the first five or 10 years of any growing enterprise. I think the interesting thing that the people listening need to grab onto is whether you're a company of one, like I am, 
or you're a company of 3,000, like Mike used to have, sales, sales, sales. Well, yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, I'm, I'm a venture capitalist, and I think the misnomer, we started a firm here myself and a, a great, my great partner, Tom Ball, um, and we have a very different approach. I mean, the tagline is built by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs, but we sell. I mean, I'm, I'm selling, and this is, I'm selling to entrepreneurs. I'm trying to get people to know that we are a great firm, and I want my entrepreneurs to say, gosh, those guys busted their hump for us. And when we see a great company, we actually pursue them. So it's, you know, it's, it's, we're not, I'm not sitting in my day job now, just uh, kind of thumbs up, thumbs down, like Shark Tank. Uh, I'm still selling and, and, I, and I love it. I mean, I love it. I love, I love going after entrepreneurs and saying, I love what you're doing. Tell me more and, and trying to convince them that we're a great partner for them. That's, that's awesome. So, Mike, I'm not going to let you go yet. I have a couple of more questions for you. But first, I've got to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this show, as all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of starting your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all that heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like I'm doing right now with Mike. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know in 2019, if you breathe air, you probably want to start a podcast because everybody's doing it. Jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Mike, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing right now in your business? Well, I don't know. You know, cool is a, a relative term, Tom. So this, this may be a stretch, but here's what we do. We, every year... At the start of the year, we pull all of our, at this point, I think we've got 26 different portfolio companies in uh, Next Coast Ventures Fund One. So what we do is we pull all of our entrepreneurs, kind of give them a little time to get after the holiday uh, deluge that we're all dealing with. Um, and then at the time of the airing of the taping, and we basically go out to them and say, what's top of mind for you and how can we help? So I'd say the coolest thing we're doing is we go out and ask them, what are the top topics that they're more interested in learning about? What are they thinking about in terms of the business and the business climate? And then also we ask them what resources that we could provide if uh, they had a, kind of their holiday list, what would they say? And what it does for us and hopefully for them, it, it guides us on our own content strategy on areas where we do um, networking events and then also helps us shape um, our, our own thinking around trends that are impacting uh, the entrepreneurial community. So I think... That's the coolest thing we're doing. Probably uh, pretty low on your bar of other people you've interviewed, but that's what we like to do. And it does really support our, our entrepreneur, built by entrepreneurs for entrepreneur mindset. Yeah, but I don't think that's, that's small at all. Actually, I think the fact that as investors, you're helping provide education for the people who you're invested in. You're not just saying, you know, go, here I am on your board to tell you what to do and all this. You're actually crafting, you know, as a guy who is a speaker who speaks to companies, I love companies that invest in their people and the education of their people because if companies didn't do that, I wouldn't work. So, you know, I think the fact that you're doing that as the investors, I think that's a home run. That's awesome. Well, it's also really pretty fun. I remember last year, um, the number one thing that was on everyone's mind, which probably isn't a surprise in the startup meeting was, blockchain and cryptocurrency. Uh, and we have, we're just sending the poll out now, but it'll be interesting to see how far that's fallen off the list. But you know, it just goes to show that, uh, as they say in technology, everything takes a long, long time. And so you can you kind of get a little bit of fad or spot uh, trending on things and then kind of 
have a little bit more of a, a balanced view on things. So yeah, it's fun. So Mike, I love to ask the people who come on this show who they admire out there in the entrepreneur sphere. When you look out to the world of entrepreneurs, and, and you're pretty well plugged in, probably more than most people that I've had on the show, who do you look at and say, wow, he or she, they're doing something cool? Cool. So I, you know, I've got so many, um, my early, my early, uh, I guess my early role models slash people I love. I love what Ted Turner did. He's probably dated for some people on there, but a guy that was always innovating and amazing entrepreneur. I think, um, the obvious answer would be, you know, the Steve jobs, but I, but I actually really think the people that I hold in the highest esteem are the folks, um, like a Larry Ellison or a Jeff Bezos, but probably for a different reason than most people. Not because of the success, which is obvious. I'm just amazed at staying power. The longevity. I think like a Bezos at yeah, at Amazon. I mean, I I I did it. It was so doggone hard. I was burnt out after twelve years. I have such admiration for the folks, and I really think it speaks to or Mark Benioff, who can set a vision, have tremendous success both business and financially, and then just keep doing it. Um so that that's what, you know, I'm not gonna get into what other attributes of their personalities, but just longevity stick-to-itiveness, and then recruiting a great team that gets around that vision. Uh, I'm in awe of those folks. Well, Mark, uh, you know, you're talking about Mark from uh, uh, Salesforce. He just, you know, recently came out and after, you know, taking some time off, has decided to reinvent himself while still staying involved. He's wants to reinvent sort of his role and what he's doing. And, you know, he took two yeah. weeks off. He took two weeks off the grid. How many tech CEOs at the level of him do you know who walk off the grid for two weeks to do soul searching? I thought that was an amazing story. Yeah, I read that story as well. And then and the thing is, he, he's such an interesting guy. I've only met him a couple of times. And I wouldn't, you know, I'm saying like a personal friend, but I met him a couple of times. Like, fascinating guy who's reinvented himself and his company keeps doing better. It's just phenomenal. Yeah, the, the sector got kind of hit hard and they grew. So it's like, you got to love that. Yeah. All right. The other question I ask everybody who comes on the show is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because I think as entrepreneurs, I think we got to do more than make money. I like to make money, but I think we have to find our way to sort of leave a mark, whether that's through supporting charities or doing education or, or whatever. And I get so many different answers. So what do you do to serve others? Well, um, I, you know, I think probably yourself, I don't know if I do enough, right? It's, good. it's a really great question, but I think two things that I try and do is on the professional level, as I mentioned, um, I, I blog about things uh, or try and do things like this. I teach it, um, uh, I do a couple things at, at Stanford. I'm going back to my alma mater, Northwestern here in the fall. And that to me is um, really just trying to help people that are earlier in their career. I look back at the mentors that I had. So I take mentorship. I guess my thing on the professional side is mentorship. I am so blessed to have so many people earlier in my career that helped me and paid it forward, as they say, or paid it back. Um, so I try and do that whenever possible. Um, and then the personal side, listen, I'm a, I'm a first person in my family to go to college. I got educated. I got really lucky. And so most of my charitable or foundational work goes towards education in various forms, just because I believe it had a, ma I know it had a massive impact on my life, transformed my economic situation tremendously. And so I try and do as much as I can on the charitable side to support education, both um, in my neighborhood, so to speak, and on broader terms. I think, I think that's awesome. So, Mike, if somebody's listening to this and they've been just totally overwhelmed, they think this is fantastic, maybe they have a company uh, that would be a good fit for Next Coast, how does someone get a hold of you? Super easy. I'm just, my email is mike at Next Coast Ventures. 
we, um, you know, I try and be very clear on my business, which is unfortunately saying no 99% of the time uh, and also being <laughs> Mike Smirklow. on stage. Mike Smirklow, VP of no. No, VP or no. I mean, that's the downside of the job. When people ask me what I hate about my job, it's like, yeah, you see great ideas, but we also, we, we invest in a little bit later. So we're not doing super early stuff, but we're always here to help. Um, so it's Mike at Next Coast Ventures or info at Next Coast Ventures, the way to get a hold of us. Um, and if we're not the right fit for you, we try our best because we have been in the seat. As I said a couple of times, we know how doggone hard it is. So if we're not the right fit or if we think um, it's not a good for our, fit for our investment strategy, we're going to do all we can to help you um, build and grow your business uh, in any way we can. Well, I did a little homework on on you and your firm before we sat down to do this thing, and I'm extremely impressed. And although I probably haven't seen him in a decade, I used to know Tom Ball back when I used to work uh, for a, a bank and a law firm and a consulting firm. And, and I think the two of you are doing really amazing stuff. And so uh, hats off to Next Coast Ventures and all that you're trying to do. And I wish you well in the rest of 2019 and forward. Thanks, Tom. I really enjoyed it. I love your material and uh, just appreciate the opportunity to be on this. Thank you for uh, for the chance. No, this has been a great chat. And I think everybody who's listened, you know, I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. Thank you so much for tuning in and and learning, getting the chance to, to learn at Mike's feet. He really did have a lot of good stuff that we talked about on the show. I know that this is going to be one of those shows that the listeners share pretty widely. Uh, I get a lot of new listeners and I ask them, you know, how, how did you find out about it? And they say, one of your, one of my friends sent me a link to an episode. So if you liked what Mike had to say, forward this out, share it with your friends, put it on your social media, tell someone on LinkedIn, hey, I'm listening to a cool podcast. It's called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Uh, If you want to find out more about me, everything is at TomSinger.com. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. Uh, of course, we're on Twitter at Tom Singer and at Cool Podcast because this is the Cool Podcast. Uh, and uh, I'm going to challenge you. You know, I talk about it all the time. Get out there and try something new. Buy one of those shirts that say try new things. You can get those at trynewthings.shop. And uh, while you're out there trying something new, have fun doing it. Go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at tomsinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at tomsinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.